Hello and welcome back to InfraDig, the podcast series run by IJ Global Infrastructure Journal. For first-time listeners, let me explain a bit about these podcasts and our goal to drive greater understanding in the fast-moving infrastructure and energy asset class. Of these, Often these podcasts are focused on how infra and energy assets are financed. Sometimes they're on the deployment of technology. And other times they just focus on a particularly interesting project. Occasionally and unashamedly, we use these podcasts to celebrate the exceptional. And with today's guest, I feel we're doing just that. Now, it would be churlish to say that I'm not frequently impressed by the infrastructure community in general. But rarely do I double take and immediately want to know more. Well, that's the case with today's guest. I've been genuinely impressed by what I'm hearing. Let me make my introductions and explain why this organisation has caught my attention to this degree. Me, I'm Angus Leslie Melville and I'm Editorial Director of IJ Global Infrastructure Journal. I have with me Steve Windsor, who co-founded Atrato Group in December 2016, having spent the previous 16 years at Goldman Sachs, where he specialised in finance and risk management. Steve became a partner at Goldman Sachs in 2008 and headed Goldman's European debt capital markets and risk management business from 2010 until 2016. And with Atrato, he's created something that ticks an awful lot of ESG boxes. Steve, welcome to InfraDig. Hello, Angus, and thanks for having me on. Not at all. Delightful to see you. Right then, how are we going to start? Steve, can I just hand you the floor for a few minutes? Uh, briefly, can you run through what Atrato does? It's an alternative asset manager investing in sustainable investments, but there's a lot more to your story and environmental social governance, ESG, is core to your company's ethos. Steve, you have the floor. Excellent. Thank you. Well, shall I give you a bit, bit of background on Atrato and our investment strategies and how we can marry that with our sustainability goals? So, yeah, as you said, we founded Atrato about five years ago, um, and we are really in terms of our, our USP, long-dated cash flow investors. So we look for that kind of long-term sleep at night um, cash flow, preferably with infl inflation linkage um, that we can invest in um, for probably 15, 20-year, 25-year investment horizons. So we can seek that from kind of infrastructure asset classes, from property asset classes, from energy, particularly renewable asset classes. And we're pretty agnostic where we look for that long dated income. But we're always after an investment strategy um, that has that um, characteristic of very long dated and secure cash flows. And then when we've got that strategy um, and the ones you know, we probably talk about today are the one we have in the property world of supermarket income REIT. The one we have mm -hmm. in the renewable energy world uh, of roof and the one we've been looking at very closely and more recently um, is that of the social housing space we then overlay and say look how do we do that in the most sustainable way how do we actually marry you know our investment objectives with our esg or our sustainability objectives so taking for example the roof uh, which we all mm. know uh, a trotto on-site energy as because roof is its, its stock market ticker um so roof as a fund is a kind of uh, a london stock exchange listed fund permanent capital vehicle managed by us at atrato so we sit there as the as the asset asset management or advisor um and uh roof's raison d'etre is to invest primarily in on-site energy solutions and that typically is um, commercial rooftop solar for you know big businesses who want to green their energy supply and actually source cheaper direct energy on site 
Now, when we founded that company and we put a board in place, um, we ended up um, with an all-female board. And that was actually more by chance, chance than by, by kind of deliberate strategy. But once we had an all-female board and we listed it on the stock exchange, it became a bit of a thing because we were the first company ever in the history, the hundreds of years of history of the London Stock Exchange to list with an all-female board. It's, That's yes, quite, quite something. It is quite something, isn't it? Um, <laughs> So then we thought, well, we have a real opportunity here to take advantage of, of that being a thing and, and to really champion the female agenda. And then marrying that with Roof as a renewables energy infrastructure company, how do we put the two together? So what we've done in Roof as a kind of sustainable objective is to champion um, females um, in the engineering space or more broadly in the STEM space um, to encourage more females in, into that arena. And that kind of marries um, the company itself and also benefits the company itself because if we can get you know, more brilliant female engineers coming through the system and working in the renewable energy space and that's that's great for us operating in that space but we tend to we tend to have similar things so on the on the property side we have supermarket income REIT um, that's taken on the cause of um, food poverty trust or trust working with fair share fair share etc but yeah everything we do has to have that sustainable angle to it and we just try and marry the two together um, in our investment objectives. Mm. And uh, you're rather renowned for giving money to charity. Am I not right in thinking that? Yes. Well, over the years, um, we've definitely tried to. I think the numbers probably run into the hundreds of thousand pounds um, so far, but we have aspirations to take that into the millions of pounds in terms of charitable giving. And what we've actually done now that we're a bigger firm um, is set up um, a separate entity called the Atrato Foundation to manage the charitable objectives of each of our underlying funds and of ourselves as Atrato. Um, and so that will take kind of long-term objectives to work with the chosen charities of each of the funds um, and to work with them on a multi-year horizon because you know charities need that long-term income. We're very much long-term investors ourselves, so we try and take that you know, knowledge about income and the requirements to, for it to be stable and long-term and apply that to our charitable giving too. And so we, we take long-term partnerships with, our, with the charities we work with. Speaking of, you know, at the, at the moment, I'm, I'm writing up the award stories for the winners of the ESG, IJ Global ESG Awards. And, you know, I really wish you'd submitted for that. <laughs> Sounds like we should have done next year. Yeah, yeah count us in. I think our big difference, and, you know, people quip with the Ben and Jerry's of the financial world, which I actually quite like, mm. is what we did at the outset is say, look, let's rather than say we'll give some money to charity let's let's write it down and let's make it a percentage of profits so you know again taking roof by example like in the prospectus of that fund it says that every year that london london stock exchange listed company which we manage will give one percent of its profits to, to charitable causes every year and those charitable causes are defined by the board and as we said they're very much taken on the female stem agenda um but that means there's no negotiation or it's a particularly tough year we'll give less this year or more more another year and and it kind of makes sure you do have that long-term commitment and investors know when they read the prospectus that one percent of their essentially their their returns is going to a charitable cause but i think it kind of captures the current zeitgeist as well most you know, investment um uh, uh institutions out there like the fact that we have a very clear transparent um, charitable sustainable policy on that front and then we as a manager so at the atrata level we commit to give at least three percent of our profits again to charitable causes and so that percentage of profits i think is the right way to go but very few companies particularly in the financial world do it so we wanted to be a bit of a leader on that front 
Hmm. Steve Bravo, I think that's absolutely excellent. Good stuff. Okay, um, thank you for that. I think we've got a good idea of what a Trato does. Um, tell, tell me, you, you have a range of strategies covering, you, as you mentioned, uh, commercial rooftop solar, supermarket real estate, and you recently announced, announced social and supported housing fund. How do you decide on themes when you're launching funds and what kind of assets and strategies are a good fit for a Trato? Yeah, we spend a lot of time screening ideas. So um, we set up a platform now where the charters who have the ability to manage multiple funds um, and um, to do that either in the in the in the public domain. So usually listed permanent capital um, funds, and we prefer London Stock Exchange for our listing of those funds as a, a you know a very good means to um, to to list an investment trust um, or privately as well. We have some privately money run money too. So once you have that platform, you have the ability to bolt on more funds. Um, as I said at the beginning, you know what we're really focused on income investing. So, you know, really good long-term income, which tends to suit people saving for retirement, um, pension funds, or just um, you know, any institutional investor with with a, with, a, with a focus on deriving income for the long-term. So that's where we start from. Now, what, what is the underlier? And our infrastructure as, a, as an asset class does tend to drive long-term income, property the same. Um, and so we spend a lot of time in those spaces. And then really the first thing you're looking for is a really top-class management team with a decent track record and whatever is their chosen specific sector. Um, that could be supermarket property, it could be social housing, it could be renewable energy. Um, and once you find that management team, you're saying, well, okay, it's a good idea, but what what advantage do you have as a team in this sector? And the two questions we always ask ourselves as the kind of first questions to whether we think the strategy has legs or not is, does that management team um, bring an information advantage to the table? Like, have they become so deep in that sector they know it inside out and better than anybody else? You know, what is the advantage information-wise that they bring to the table? And then secondly, and I think almost most importantly, is do they have a relationship advantage within the sector? So, you know, do they truly have, you know, relationships that are better than any competing strategy in their sector? So in, in supermarket income REIT, um, you know, we have... For example, Justin King um, uh, as part of the team, uh, Justin previously CEO of Sainsbury's. We have Vince Pryor. Vince Pryor was previously head of um, property at Sainsbury's. And we have lots of kind of you know deep relationship institutional expertise on the team who brings that information and relationship advantage to the table. And then um, Roof, the classic example was you know, one, the fund manager is is Capri Goodrell and Capri spent many years at Macquarie doing exactly this, probably the market leader in the space. But then we managed to combine that with Juliet Davenport, uh, Julian Davenport OBE, I think one of the very few people in the UK to actually get an OBE for services to the renewables industry. So you bring those kind of figureheads together with excellent investment fund managers and you create something really quite special in the investment universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Okay, let's take this a little further. Um, rooftop, commercial rooftop solar. Now, this takes me back to uh, when I was working in a previous publishing house um, where the, um, you, the previous owner of IJ Global, which was EMAP, and we, we, were, li- we were working out of offices, um, Greater London House, enormous building with the big black cats out in front of the building, lovely. Um, but they had an enormous roof space. And I kept on saying, why aren't there any solar panels up there? It's ridiculous. But then again, um, I did leave there in 2010. So maybe that was a little bit ahead of the curve. But all the same, you know, there's an awful lot of space up there that could be used. Um, For you, what's the particular appeal of commercial rooftop solar compared to other forms of renewable infrastructure? 
Um, it's a very good question, and it comes down to our speciality. So there are there are other renewable funds out there, and so our differentiator is that we really focus on the on the on-site. And when we say on-site, it means kind of behind the meter. So um, we will actually put, you know, for example, panels on the top of a large shed or a large supermarket, and then we supply whoever's downstairs directly with that electricity. So it's fully traceable. They know where it's coming from. It it's um, it's a system designed to meet their electricity consumption needs. And more importantly, it doesn't use the grid because mm. most of the costs of electricity, uh, probably not most these days, but a good proportion of the cost <laughs> of electricity um, come from all those grid charges to actually mm. use the grid, the levies, et cetera, that get put on your electri- electrical bill. And so if you're not using the grid, you don't have to pay any of those. Um, so you can provide much cheaper electricity on site. And then, you know, um, roof or a charge on site energy has been exactly in the right place at the right time and I think as an investment thematic it really has captured two massive macro thematics in investing in that one that kind of structural higher energy price which we're all experiencing across the world and particularly here in the UK so the cost of energy has gone up a lot um, and then two it also um, it's, it's at the convergence of that macro thematic with um, uh, the whole sustainability agenda and greening buildings and having greenable um, supplies of energy so so what we do is we we you know the pitch is I always think the most is the easiest sell in the world for roofs. So we will speak to big corporates across the UK and say, hey, right now you're paying, oh gosh, what is it these days? 30, 40, oh. 50. We've even heard 80, 90 a pound per kilowatt oh. hour for your electricity as a as a business. Um, we can arrive. We can put solar panels on your top. If you've got any spare land around, we'll put ground mounted solar panels around, um, um, and we'll do all of that. We'll cover all the cost because that's what we do as a renewables um, company and investment trust. Um, and we'll supply your electricity at you know, 12 pence, 15 pence, depending on the cost of the project, but substantially, like massively substantially cheaper than they can buy it from the grid. So it's, an, it's a bit of a no-brainer um, for for most large corporations, but you do need quite a big roof space to make it worthwhile. So we don't look at the smaller residential. We don't look tend to look at smaller office blocks. You know, you need a big... Amazon shared or a Tesco supermarket yeah. or anything with a very large roof space to make it economically viable for us because we absorb all the cost of putting it on and then we make back our returns over the long term and we tend to get 20 year power purchase agreements so 20 year contracts from a Tesco downstairs to buy that electricity mm-hmm. and the payback was always about eight years on solar you know in the current market you can probably get that down to about four years but we put our capex up front and then we take cash flows for the next 20 years off that um, off that offtaker downstairs, and then we make our return slowly um, over the 20-year horizon. But it's again slow, dependable income, and usually with inflation uplifts. So we are a good source of inflation for investors too. Yeah, well, there must be a, a, an extra little uh, complication thrown into the mix because it was a while back when all the sale and leaseback agreements were signed. So you'll be talking not to Tesco, for example, but you'll be talking to the owner of Tesco's um, property that they're working in. But then that's that's actually, actually sounds a little bit more complicated. <laughs> but, hey, the devil is always in the detail. You're quite right. So, yeah, our contract is always with whoever's using the electricity downstairs, but they may not in the building. So yeah. then we need consent from the landlord to put the panels on the top and all it, it, these things are always deep in documentation and complexity and far more than you'd ever wish for. <laughs> but but there is a deep desire from all, all parties to get these get these projects done because economically it's great for the operator downstairs. It's really good for the landlord of the building, whoever owns it, because they can dem- they can um, demonstrate that they've actually greened their building and they will get an EPC uplift. You know? So if the building was rated EPCC, by the time we finished, it's usually at least one or not two, not two notches higher. 
And then they have a better building, right? So mm -hmm. they have a better building, which is theoretically then worth more, at least certainly more lettable in the future. So mm -hmm. you are dealing with a landlord who thinks, well, that's a good idea. You know, <laughs> um, a user of electricity downstairs, be it a factory, um, you know, be it a pharmaceutical business or be it a, um, be it a just an Amazon shared who really wants the cheaper electricity. I mean, and you've got us as the third party there who's raison d'etre is to invest in renewable infrastructure um, over the long term. So, you know, three willing parties, but you're quite right, a whole bunch of complex docs to get signed in, in amongst all that. <laughs> yes. Um, let's bring it up to date. And um, you, you have already mentioned the price of energy, but um, let's put a trato in the context of the current financing climate. Um, how is the current situation with energy prices affecting the investment case for renewable infrastructure, for your renewable infrastructure at least? Yeah, so again, that macro big picture, this you know, high cost of energy is really good news for the renewable industry because you know, renewables have in the past been you know, great from a green perspective, but slightly more expensive than whatever is the incumbent coal, nuclear, gas fire power stations. As the cost of the incumbent electricity goes up, then green alternatives look much more financially attractive. And so you can get more investment in them, companies more um, keener to commit to them for the longer term, and governments themselves are, are much more keener on the on the green initiative. So I think one of the main beneficiaries, though we'll all be out of pocket when we get our gas bills um, through for the next year or so, but one of the main long-term beneficiaries will be the environment because there'll be a lot mm -hmm. more investment in renewable energy over this period of higher um, um, energy prices. and. Yes, we can say it's partly to do with the Ukraine, which it certainly is, and that was a big catalyst for high prices. Mm -hmm. But we believe over the long term, there is just a structural shift in the cost of energy and it, it's going up and it isn't coming down anytime soon. And so mm -hmm. we do need more renewable capacity because we don't want to build more coal fired power stations. So that investment is required. And the lowest hanging fruit, we think, um, looking um, you know, certainly at the UK, is all that rooftop space. And we completely Absolutely. get the argument that if you're going to put solar panels on a farmer's field, um, you know, there's an environmental impact, uh, there's a visual impact, so there's an alternative use. Could that field be used for corn or, or sheep? Now, we don't think that alternative use is a particularly strong argument, but we completely get there is a, a bigger argument to have about putting a large scale, you know, utility solar farm in, into a farm. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a grey rooftop space, that's that's just a freebie. I mean, we should be we should be covering that in solar panels across the UK, and we have a huge amount of rooftop space across the UK that could be covered, um, and that's just going to massively boost uh, the green energy within the UK if we can get that done. Mm -hmm. Paint the roof white and uh, make it a bifacial solar panel, and you're laughing even more. Mirrors, exactly. <laughs> okay, wonderful. Uh, thank you for that. Um, sticking with the bigger picture, um, are there other areas of infrastructure that you're looking at? Um, where, where are you seeing good investment opportunities at the moment? And would you consider battery storage or EV charging, for example? Yeah, so um, um, when we look at batteries, because batteries is a really hot topic at the moment, we look at them to say, look, is there a long-term um, investable um, uh, strategy here for us of buying the battery, you know, charging it from solar panels in times where we've got surplus and then um, discharging it or selling that electricity to a user you know, uh, in times when they need it. And so as you know, as a conceptually, that is brilliant. Um, but for us, the cost of batteries is still too high to make it economic. So we can definitely add it and we look at every project we do to say, can we put battery storage on here or not? But it puts the cost of electricity up quite a lot. Um, mm -hmm. 
there is a J curve in terms of um, battery pricing, and it's coming down rapidly. So we're 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 getting close to the point where batteries will certainly be used more and more um, in all of our projects, but we're not quite there yet. Um, uh, there is, however, um, a good deal of money being made out of batteries at the moment, but that's purely a a, a, a result of the um, volatility for electricity prices. So people are putting in a battery and then they're kind of day trading the electricity price to sell it back to the grid at times of peak. And because there is such a shortage, um, now those battery um, investment strategies are doing very well. But that's not really for us. That's kind of short term opportunistic trading of energy prices mm -hmm. using a battery. We're about can we can we come up with a 20 year strategy that this battery pays for itself and makes our investors returns and that math doesn't quite work yet but we're getting really close to it if you ask the team i think they say within two years we expect to use batteries on most projects um so we're very close to it and then some of our clients say look we know that's going to put the cost of electricity up a lot but we'd really like to have a battery because we're committed to the environmental angle that the battery brings and it gives us some more renewable energy which is stored on site and we can use it um, at our leisure and then coming on to ev charging um so we think, and we're seeing more and more evidence of it, this is a great solution for supermarkets because even the best EV chargers take 34 minutes to put a reasonable amount of charge into your car. If you can put those EV chargers along the front of a supermarket, what are you going to do while your car is charging for 40 minutes? You're going to go into that supermarket and you're going to, you're going to buy something you didn't particularly think you needed or wanted, but you're going to spend some money in that supermarket. And and so it's, it's a real footfall driver. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we have quite a few of those projects going on. Again, the economics of putting in EV charging aren't great yet. It's a bit of a bet on the future. Um, and I think a lot of companies will offer free EV charging to drive footfall and treat it as a lost leader. But that makes it hard for us to invest in. So absolutely, we look at it. It can be part of an overall scheme for a for a building or a site whereby you have solar panels on the roof, maybe some battery storage and EV charging all included. But for us, it's not very investable yet. And it is yet as EV as electric car usage goes up as you can charge a fair amount for that electricity, which you're then supplying into, into retail demand, essentially, um, then it's very much on our agenda within a charter on-site energy to invest into it. But as a standalone investment, doesn't quite work yet for us. Mm. Yes, I, I found it curious. Um, some years back, um, well, about three, I suppose, pre-COVID, um, the supermarket along the road from me, um, big one, uh, they installed, I think it was about four or five electric vehicle charging points. And then as the months went past, I was quite alarmed to see that they slashed it back to two. And it's almost like, well, I, I think that was a little bit short-sighted of them because the, the need is only going to grow. And the more you have, the more people are going to use it. And uh, Maybe they're going to start reinstalling them because they clearly have the infrastructure already there and perhaps they'll put in better ones than they had previously. But such such a fast moving environment for technology. Um, it's almost as though people are waiting for the right time to get in and there'll never be a right time, will there? Because technology is moving so fast. On I the charging right. front. Yeah, I think that's right. And there, there are definitely some market leaders out there who are investing now and making the bet that the returns will come. Um, we're just not that type of investor. We, we we like to see established markets with established returns and a track record of returns before we invest. And things like 
battery and EV don't quite give us that yet, but it's coming. It's definitely coming and we have a bucket available to invest and within our investment strategy within a trial on-site energy, it is the kind of entire green energy solution for a site and we'd love to use more of it. We just have to be able to put it into a spreadsheet, model it over a 10 to 20 year horizon and get a a reasonable return for shareholders, which as soon as we can get that, we'll be pushing the button on more and more of those. Is there any technology out there that you're um, keeping very close eye on, something that's particularly interesting, any development? I mean, we see announcement after announcement on the hydrogen front, and goodness, I do a stack of um, podcasts on hydrogen, um, and I think it's fantastic. However, I do worry about its eventual deployment and um, where its user case is. Is is there any technology out there that uh, has you uh, pricking up your ears? Yeah, like within the team, we have a whole bunch of you know, very geeky renewable energy engineers who loves who love looking at all the new technology, and we certainly watch it, and certainly watching hydrogen. I think that's several years away from being investable, but if energy prices continue on their current trend, maybe that comes earlier. But hydrogen is very expensive and uses an awful lot of electricity to produce it. So. Mm. It's kind of, well, okay, I've produced hydrogen, which is green to use, but then I have to make sure the green electricity that I've used to actually produce it is genuinely green and where it's coming from. So there's lots of issues with hydrogen and then the transportation and the explosiveness of it and everything else. So it it is it is on paper a, a great fuel to use, um, but it's the, it's the production, I think, they haven't quite cracked yet. And some are, but um, and, and some are fully tracing all the way through to make sure it's truly green hydrogen, but then it's really expensive and actually getting companies to commit to spending lots, lots, lots more money on energy um, because it's green, I think, is a much harder sell than saying, look, it's green and it's the same price as your current energy. And then for us, it's a really easy sell because we say, look, you know, we can put commercial rooftop solar in, it's green, fully traceable, um, and it's cheaper than you're paying right now. And then then you get, you know, a big take up um, in that renewable energy sector. And we're seeing that now with commercial rooftop solar. And it may come in hydrogen. We just don't know yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, if I was putting my money on anything, I think it would be rooftop solar. It's, it's, um, it's an excellent line. Okay, Steve, this brings us to a close for today's InfraDig podcast. I'd like to thank you for taking time to join us and tell us about Atrato. It's been really, really interesting. Thank you very much, Steve. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Angus. Not at all. Thank you. And to the listener, you, as always, have my eternal thanks for joining us. Please feel free to share, like, follow. But for now, I'll leave you with the most sincere hopes that you found this to be anything but in for a dig.